This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. This episode of Our Miss Brooks features Connie's constant battle with her nemesis, Miss Enright. It was first aired in 1949 when the show was at the height of its popularity. Arden won a radio listener's poll by Radio Mirror magazine as the top-ranking comedian of 1948-49, receiving her award at the end of an Our Miss Brooks broadcast that March. She said... I'm certainly going to try in the coming months to merit the honor you've bestowed upon me because I understand that if I win this two years in a row, I get to keep Mr. Boynton. (laughs) But she was also hit with the critics. A winter 1949 poll of newspaper and magazine radio editors taken by Motion Picture Daily named her the year's best radio comedian. So we catch her at the top of her game in tonight's show. For its entire radio life, the show was sponsored by promoting Palmolive Soap, Luster Cream Shampoo, and Tony Hair Care Products. And now the episode entitled The Hairdo. Palmolive Soap, your beauty hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. who teaches English at Madison High School is as sociable as the next teacher, especially if the next teacher happens to be Mr. Philip Boynton. But unfortunately, Mr. Boynton, who teaches biology at Madison, is uh, a rather shy individual. Yes, indeed. For a fellow who spends so much time studying life, he certainly manages to get very little on him. (laughs) Of course, there are rumors around the school that I'm that way about Mr. Boynton. Now, I don't know exactly what that way means, but if feeling that way means feeling this way, then I guess I'm that way about Mr. Boynton. (laughs) Anyway, last week, he accepted my invitation to invite me to the faculty dance Saturday night. And so bright and early Saturday morning, I asked one of my pupils, Walter Denton, to drive me down to the beauty parlor in his jalopy. Unlike the new Hudson, Walter's car isn't one you step down into. His car, most people back away from. (laughs) It's a very streamlined little job. No windows, no top, and no windshield. All in all, it's the coldest hot rod in town. (laughs) If it's too cool for you, Miss Brooks, I can put up the top. The top? Where is that? In the back, on the floor. (laughs) No, thanks, Walter. It doesn't matter how my hair looks now. Antoine will change me into something believable. I appreciate your giving me this lift today, Walter. Oh, it's a pleasure, Miss Brooks. A pleasure and a privilege, because I'm so fond of you both as a person and a teacher. You know, that's one thing about Madison High. They sure got some wonderful teachers. Now, take Mr. Boynton. Granted. He sure is tops. I ran into him the other night at the movies. 
Incidentally, he was with another member of the faculty, Miss Enright. Please, Walter, not so soon after breakfast. (laughs) I forgot you and Miss Enright aren't exactly stuck on each other. That, Walter, is an understatement. Now, let's just forget about her, shall we? Sure, I'll be happy to forget about her. I never think about her much anyway. Fine. Walter. Yeah? Was she sitting close to Mr. Boynton? (laughs) Who? The lady we decided to forget about. Well, I can practically give you a blow-by-blow because I sat right behind him in the movie. And what's your report, G2? (laughs) Nothing. Nothing? They were so dull, I spent half my time watching the picture. (laughs) You should have asked for your money back. Of course, she did whisper a couple of things into his ear, but I couldn't hear what they were very well. She has a funny way of purring when she talks. There's nothing funny about it. To her, purring comes naturally. <laughs> of course, she tried to hold Mr. Boynton's hand once or twice, but she didn't quite make it. Why not? Most of the time, he had it in a bag of popcorn. <laughs> well, it would serve her right if she got salt all over her manicure. Here's the beauty parlor, Walter. Uh, would it be convenient for you to pick me up in a couple of little hours? Oh, sure, sure. I gotta get a haircut anyhow, and I usually go to Barney's Barbershop right down the street. I was thinking of getting a butch haircut this time. Well, from what I've seen of the kids who get their haircut at Barney's, he can butch up any kind of a haircut. <laughs> Antoine? Well, if it isn't Miss Brooks, a long time no see, like the man said. What man? Oh, there you go. You're not in my shop two minutes and you're pulling my leg. But I don't care. I'm delighted to see you at any time. You're such a challenge to a beautician. (laughs) Yes, you see, you come into my shop so infrequently, I have to start from scratch each time. (laughs) Of course, you do have a load of natural beauty. Thanks, loads. (laughs) But then so does a rosebush And even it, with all its natural loveliness Must be properly and frequently cared for In order to retain that beauty Its soil must be irrigated Its roots watered Its leafy branches gently sprinkled Well, don't stand there Turn the hose on me (laughs) Uh, Before I assign you to a booth uh, Tell me, Miss Brooks What prompted you to come in this morning? Oh, it's very simple, Antoine There's a faculty dance at Madison High tonight And... I thought it would be nice to look like a human being. All the big jobs they bring to Antoine. <laughs> well, no matter. It's a feeble artist, indeed, who cannot rise above his subject. I shall make you my masterpiece. All I ask in return is that you promise to visit Antoine's once a week. Aren't you forgetting something? I'm a school teacher. You know, it isn't an accident that we of the faculty have a faculty for always looking like the faculty. <laughs> Beauty parlors are a luxury we can rarely afford. Well, apparently that doesn't apply to all teachers. One of my best customers is a teacher. In fact, she has an appointment here in a few minutes. Uh, a Miss Enright. Uh, do you know her? Yes, we both teach English at Madison. Oh, then you and Miss Enright have something in common. I suppose you could call in that, yes. <laughs> Wonderful person. Very active in the Parent-Teachers Association and in all sorts of civic functions. Uh, What do you think of her? She's fine. Good teacher. Uh, Confidentially, I don't like her either. (laughs) But even though I should be grateful for the new customers I get through her connections, I can't help feeling that she's very overbearing. That's my honest opinion, and when it comes to people, I believe that honesty is the best policy. 
Well, here I am, Antoine. Miss Enright, how wonderful to see you. Your policy just lapsed. <laughs> Why, Miss Brooks, what are you doing in a beauty parlor? Oh, I just thought I'd let Antoine do a little lily gilding. Yeah, I haven't started yet. I'm going to make Miss Brooks look like a thing of beauty. Is there time? <laughs> it's Saturday, you know. We have to be back at school by Monday. Oh, I'll make it. Antoine's going to put more men on the job. <laughs> well, uh, if you'll excuse me for a moment, I'll arrange booth three for you, Miss Antoine. Oh, do that, Antoine. Uh, Miss Brooks, now that we're alone, there's something I think you should know. That you were at the movies with Mr. Boynton last night? Well, how did you... Were you there, too? No, just my emissary. <laughs> I must admit, Miss Brooks, I thought you'd be a little more upset about it. Upset? Me? Because Mr. Boynton chooses to go out with another English teacher? Of course I'm not upset. In fact, I had quite a laugh over it. A laugh? I thought I'd split my infinitive. <laughs> You see, I happen to know that Mr. Boynton once heard the expression, let's live a little. Yes. So that's what he does. He lives as little as possible. <laughs> no, I'm not worried about what Mr. Boynton does when he's not with me. Look, Miss Brooks, I like to do things in an open and above board manner. I'm going to lay my cards on the table. Good. Take them out of your sleeve and deal. <laughs> What's the first card? Just this. I know you've booked Mr. Boynton for the faculty dance tonight, but remember, there's always tomorrow, and I don't give up easily. Well, good for you, Salty Nails. <laughs> don't underestimate me, my dear. The next time Mr. Boynton and I walk down a middle aisle, it may not be in a theater. Be sure to invite me to the wedding. And, Miss Enright, if you ever become a mother, remember, I'd love one of the kittens. <laughs> Now, Miss yes, coming, Antoine. I'll see you and Mr. Boynton at the dance, Miss Brooks. I'll be looking forward to it with considerable revulsion. <laughs> oh, oh, booth three. Here it is. Uh, sit right down here, Miss Enright. Antoine, before you do anything for me, I want you to take care of Miss Brooks. Uh, but your appointment... I'll was... wait. There's a certain way I want you to take care of Miss Brooks. First of all, I want you to comb her hair up in back and give her bangs in front. But that wouldn't suit her face at all. Exactly. Then I want you to be sure and see that she's got pounds of makeup on, plenty of rouge, eyeshadow, everything. But she won't like that. Neither will Mr. Boynton. I know the type. And whatever you do, don't let Miss Brooks look into a mirror. Tell her, uh, tell her to wait for her first reaction from a member of the opposite sex. But, Miss Enright, suppose she doesn't want me to... She'll agree to anything you suggest. She knows you're an expert beautician. Well, then how can I betray her faith in me? I'd feel like a traitor. A despicable traitor. Antoine, dozens of women patronize this shop at my suggestion. And at my suggestion, they go elsewhere. Now, are you going to give Miss Brooks the works or not? Well, Benedict Arnold made a nice living for years. <laughs> We are all finished. Remember now, no mirrors, Miss Brooks. All right, Antoine, if you say so. I'll leave it up to the public. Oh, there's Walter, parked as usual, right in front of a fire plug. <laughs> well, here I am. Let's go. Uh, sorry, lady, I'm waiting for Miss Brooks. Take another look, Walter. It's me. 
Holy cow, get in quick. I'll take you to the receiving hospital. <laughs> or better yet, I'll give you first aid. I'm the Red Cross chairman of our class, you know. Well, why do I need first aid? Your mouth, it's all cut. Oh, you're just not used to seeing me with lipstick on. Start the car, Walter. I didn't intend to take so long. Mrs. Davis will be wondering what happened to me. When she sees you, she'll still be wondering. <laughs> Gosh, that hair comb. Those bangs. What's wrong with these bangs? Are they too long? Or, in all the time you've known me, Miss Brooks, have I ever consciously been fresh or tried to hurt your feelings? No, Walter, never. And I can answer your question honestly. They're not long enough. They're frustrating, Miss Brooks. <laughs> what are you talking about, Walter? Well, they start out all right, but just when they really get going, boom, they stop. <laughs> right at the tip of your nose. <laughs> oh, that's just a few hairs that were blown out of place in this hopped-up pie plate of yours. How do I look otherwise? Well, frankly, Miss Brooks, I thought you were more beautiful without all that stuff. I mean, well, gosh, with your natural beauty, you could have been a famous stage actress or even a model or a big movie star. I've often wondered... What made you become a school teacher anyway? I couldn't resist the money. <laughs> well, Walter took me home from Antoine, and as my new bangs and I entered the front door, my landlady, Mrs. Davis, came out of the living room. Hello, Mrs. Davis. Oh, how do you do, madam? If you're looking for Miss Brooks, she isn't in. I'm her landlady. <laughs> well, maybe I can refresh your memory. Good morning, Mrs. Davis. I can't pay the rent till next week. Connie Brooks. Where in the world did you get that makeup? Antoine's beauty parlor. You didn't leave much there, did you? <laughs> Although I suppose it is attractive to a male. By the way, has he called? Mr. Boynton, you mean? Not this morning, Connie. And I know why you didn't get any calls last night, either. Why? I discovered our phone wasn't working. But I fixed it about an hour ago. You fixed it? Yes, I went downtown and paid the bill. <laughs> you know, Connie, as one gets used to your new look, it's not half bad. Well, I should hope not. After spending three hours in a hot booth, the least I can expect... I'll get it. Hello? Well, hello, Miss Brooks. This is Mr. Boynton. I thought I'd better call to ask what time I can pick you up tonight. I wouldn't want to barge in without giving you ample time to get ready. Oh, you can come over any time, Mr. Boynton. It never takes me more than a few minutes to fix up. Well, then I'll be over about seven. Uh, you know, I tried to reach you several times last night, but your phone was out of order. Yes, I just heard about it. I was quite disappointed when you didn't answer, but while I was combing some new white mice I've acquired, Miss Enright dropped by and asked me if I wanted to go to the movies. What did you do with the other mice? <laughs> Where did you go after the movie? Ice cream parlor? Oh, no, I was full. The popcorn's very good at the Paramount. Yes, I know. Don't they have a slogan that goes, if it's Paramount Picture, it's the best popcorn in town? Uh, I don't know about that, Miss Brooks, but this wasn't a Paramount Picture. It was an independent. It's about some girl with a lot of money who wants her sweetheart to quit being a poor songwriter and work in her father's doorknob factory. <laughs> No, but he writes a big hit song after they separate. And when he's got as much money as her father, he asks her to marry him again. And this time she says yes. I can't understand it. Me either. You ought to see the girl this fellow proposes to. She's got two inches of makeup on and she wears bangs. 
Gang? The most ridiculous-looking get-up you ever saw. How any man in his right mind could fall for anybody like that would... Well, I won't keep you any longer, Miss Brooks. I'll pick you up at seven. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, I wish I hadn't let Walter go home. He could have taken me back to Antoine's. I'll get it, Tony. Well, Osgood Conklin, how is Madison's handsome principal today? Uh, fine, Margaret, fine. As you know, my wife's preparing all the refreshments for the dance tonight, and she wondered if you'd be kind enough to help her out with a few sandwiches. Why, of course, Osgood. Shall I make the same kind of sandwiches I did last time? White fish and peanut butter. <laughs> no. No, thank you. I've brought some Hello, things. Mr. Conklin. Miss Brooks has been to the hairdressers, Osgood. Doesn't she look interesting? Well, uh, I really don't know. It's hard to tell. I I can see you all right, Miss Brooks, but how in the world can you see me? <laughs> oh, it's easy, Mr. Conklin. I just blow a little, and there you are. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I've got to get back to the beauty parlor right away. Do you think you could give me a lift? I suppose so, Miss Brooks. And, Mrs. Davis, you'll find the ingredients for the sandwiches in this package right here. All right, Osgood. I'll get started right away. See you later, Connie. Bye, Mrs. Davis. Well, come along, Miss Brooks. I'll drop you off. White fish and peanut butter? <laughs> As I recall, Mr. Conklin, the beauty parlor is only a couple of blocks past your house, so I won't be taking you too far out of your way. Uh, that's perfectly all right, Miss Brooks. I hope you'll forgive me for seeming so taken aback when you first came in, but, well, you did look quite unlike a school teacher. Is that bad? On Saturdays, no. In fact, I, uh, I rather admire a woman who takes the time to enhance her charms. Confidentially, I've been trying to stampede Mrs. Conklin into a beauty salon for years, but she just can't see it. Doesn't believe in powder, rouge, lipstick, none of the refinements. What does she want with refinements? She's got you. That is, she's uh, got you. Excuse me, we're just passing my house. I always honk the horn when I'm in the neighborhood. Gives my wife and daughter a feeling of security. <laughs> but as you just said, Miss Brooks, she's got me. That's the trouble. She doesn't have to patronize beauty shops to hold on to me, and she knows it. Of course, if she had some reason to be jealous of me, she... Jealous. Miss Brooks, do you think that if Martha were jealous... Oh, pardon me, Mr. I... Conklin, but if you'll just pull up here, this is Antoine. Where? It's that little building with the dimple in the door. <laughs> Thanks for the lift, Mr. Conklin. You're welcome, Miss Brooks. And we can pursue the topic of my wife's peccadilloes at the dance tonight. Oh, definitely. I'm one of the best peccadillo dancers in town. <laughs> That does it, Miss Brooks. Am I completely plain again, Antoine? If you were any plainer, you'd fade right into the woodwork. You, I'm home, Mrs. Davis. She should be back any... Oh, wait a minute. She just came in. Come to the phone, Connie. It's Mr. Boynton. Again? I wonder what he wants now. Thanks, Mrs. Davis. Hello? Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. Mrs. Davis told me you were at the beauty shop. I was delighted to hear that. Delighted, Mr. Boynton? Yes. You see, I was afraid you might misconstrue my remarks about the girl in the movie and think that I dislike all spectacular hairdressings. Actually, the new styles fascinate me. They do? Yes. <laughs> uh, what sort of hairdo did you get, Miss Brooks? Well, what I got was more of a hair don't. 
But, uh, I'm sure you'll like what I'm going to get again, Mr. Boynton. Oh, fine. When we walk into that dance tonight, I want those other teachers to really notice you. I've even bought a brand new blue serge suit. Do you think it'll fit me? <laughs> That's a hot one. I'll see you at seven. Goodbye, Miss Brooks. Goodbye, Mr. Boynton. Well, back to the beauty parlor. You know something, Mrs. Davis? What, Connie? In moments like these, I almost wish I was Mrs. Conklin. What am I saying? I'll have to be going down to the gym now, Martha. I want to see if it's fixed up properly for the dance tonight. Very well, dear. Oh, don't forget the keys to your car. They're on the table in the hall. And, Osgood, I must say the car took a lovely polish. I got a glance at it when you were driving past the house with some woman. Yes. Well, I was just... You saw me driving with some woman, Martha? Yes, dear, I did. Well, there's no need to be jealous, of course, but she was quite pretty, don't you think? I'm sorry, Osgood. I didn't get a very good look at it. I was carrying some cold cuts at the time. (laughs) If you must know, she was gorgeous. The cold cuts were quite popular last year. Don't evade the issue, Martha. Who was that woman you saw me with this morning? I repeat, who was that woman, Martha? What woman? Oh, in the car with you. Well, really, Osgood, you drive so many women from the Board of Education around. This one wasn't from the Board of Education. Far from it. Oh, please, dear. You're leaning against the potato salad. (laughs) Why don't you admit it, Martha? You're jealous. Five loaves of white. That should be enough. Martha, I said you were jealous. Yes, dear. Now, where did I put the rye bread? Martha, you're not even listening to me. Hello, dear. Hello! Oh, oh, I mean, hello, Harriet. Harriet, you've been crying. Is something wrong, dear? Oh, everything's wrong. Walter Dan told me he had to pick up Miss Brooks, but when I saw him, he was riding around with some, some creature and bang. I'm going up to my room now, Mother. And if Walter calls, just tell him I've taken a slow boat to China. Oh, but after you've brooded a while, please come down and help me find the rye bread. Oh, Mother! Now, there's a girl who will make some man a fine wife, insanely jealous. Oh, here's the rivalry. I do hope I win the door prize this year. Don't think I'm past noticing pulchritude, Martha. I'm still just a boy at heart. You know why I gave that other woman a lift in my car? Because she'd just come from the beauty shop. You hear me, Martha? I was bedazzled. If it hadn't been for all the powder in that store-bought hair... That man of mine wouldn't have gone nowhere. Nowhere. Oh, what's the use? <laughs> Hello again, Miss Brooks. Tilly, prepare booth number four. <laughs> and now then, Miss Brooks, you said on the phone you wanted something fascinating, so I've decided to give you the famous Antoine Marcel. Is it really exciting, Antoine? Exciting? This is the very same coiffure I copied hair by hair from Gorgeous George. <laughs> Give it to me, and then I'll wrestle you for the bill. Well, this ought to be a very successful dance, Miss Brooks. Quite a few people in the gym. Yes, indeed, Mr. Boynton. And at the sound of the next voice, there will be one people too many. Oh, there you are. Good evening, Mr. Boynton. Good evening, Miss Enright. The next number is a waltz, Mr. Boynton. Is it? Yes, and I'm just dying to waltz. 
Well, you do that. Mr. Boynton and I will be right behind you. (laughs) Look who just came in. It's Mrs. Conklin, isn't it? Oh, yes, but in a backless evening gown and an upswept hairdo. And I thought I was overdone. Alongside of Mrs. Conklin, I look like Carrie Nation after a bad night. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Good evening, Mrs. Conklin. Hello, Mrs. Conklin. Don't let me scare you. I I got myself up like this to teach Osgood a lesson. I wonder what he'll say when he sees me. Well, you won't have to wait long to find out. He's coming over now. Ah, uh, hello, folks. I... Oh, I see. We have a newcomer in our midst. And a... <laughs> a very charming one at that. Osgood Conklin at your service, Miss... Uh, Miss... It's Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Conklin. Well, I'm delighted to make your... <laughs> Mrs. Conklin. Hello, Osgood. Ma! What in the world... Your hair, your... Well, if that is... Your face is... Of all the... You look lovely, my dear. (laughs) I'm going to have every dance with you tonight. Oh, Boynton. Oh, yes, Mr. Conklin? I'd like you to take over my duties as host at the front door, if you please. Oh, but, sir, Miss Brooks and I will... To the door, Boynton. Yes, sir. Come along, Martha. If it hadn't been for powder and that store-bought hair, I wouldn't have... Oh, Miss Enright. Yes, Miss Brooks? Shall we dance? (laughs) Well, Mr. Boynton got away from the door just in time to ask me for the last half of the last dance. You look lovely tonight, Miss Brooks. I feel I put you to a lot of trouble today. Oh, it was nothing. Of course, I did lose about five pounds, but it was mostly around the scalp. Attention, attention, please. Ladies and gentlemen of the faculty, it is my pleasure at this time to announce the winner of the door prize. She is none other than our Miss Brooks. Congratulations, Miss Brooks. Thank you, Mr. Conklin. Uh, I know you're all anxious to find out what the door prize is. Well, I have here a ticket, Miss Brooks, entitling you to one free treatment at Antoine's beauty parlor. Mr. Conklin, would you tell me one thing? What's that, Miss Brooks? Is this for putting on or taking off? (laughs) Next week, tune into another Our Miss Brooks show, brought to you by Connelly Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, Mary Jane Croft, Frank Nelson, and Margaret McDonald. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evenings over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This week marks the 37th anniversary of the Girl Scouts. And the Colgate Palmolly Peat Company takes this opportunity to wish a very happy birthday to all Girl Scouts of America, whose fine program trains the girls of today to be better citizens in the world of tomorrow. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
Stay tuned for Nero Wolf next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet as Rex Stout's fictional armchair detective genius, Nero Wolf. Produced by Edwin Fadiman and directed by J. Donald Wilson, the series aired on NBC from October 20th of 1950 to April 27th of 51. The episodes were all written by Alfred Bester. And now, tonight's episode entitled, The Final Page. Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell brings you mystery, adventure. Nero Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. What? Oh, Fritz, yeah, I thought it was the outside line. Yeah? Yes, thanks, I'll be right down, Fritz. Boss, Mr. Wolf, will you please hurry? You're well aware that it will avail you nothing to hurry me? Why you Mr. Ware be in such a rush today? But the car, it's downstairs waiting. Fritz is all ready. Let him wait. Isn't it enough that I've agreed against my better judgment to leave the comforts of home to go rushing through the crashing traffic of the city? To a dinner, that should be an inducement. Fritz could have prepared a delicious dinner. He has truffles in the pantry. Why did you promise Arthur Merle? You didn't have to accept the invitation. Quite so. He's an old friend. Besides, he does set an excellent table. It's just that I don't like the traffic. Traffic? (laughs) I know why. It's that awful oxygen in the atmosphere outside. It's not the traffic. Archie, you're talking much too much. I know, boss. I'm impatient. Would you mind giving me some slight indication that you intend to move from that chair? Just as soon as I finish this beer. Sure you wouldn't care for half a dozen sandwiches before we go to dinner? If we were going anywhere other than to Arthur Merle's, I'd agree with you. He's the only person in the world I know of, except myself, of course who has a proper appreciation and respect for the art of preparing good food. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that renowned genius who is the bulkiest, balkiest, most ponderous, and most brilliant detective in the world. Yes, none other than that chair-borne mass of unpredictable intellect, Nero Wolfe. Created by Rex Stout and brought to you in a new series of adventures over this NBC network in the person of Mr. Sidney Greenstreet. We usually refer to this story as the case of the final page. Under normal circumstances, the last page of a manuscript would be absolutely worthless unless you read all the preceding pages. But in this instance, the final page held the answer to a murder. Without that page, we couldn't arrive at the solution. Actually, we didn't even know the problem. Anyhow, I finally got Nero Wolf to the lobby of Arthur Merle's apartment building. Going up. Up, please. Are you going up, gentlemen? Are you, honey? Certainly. It's my job. Then so are we. After you, boss. When did they install women elevator operators in this building? I've been here for two years. Floor, please. Arthur Merle's apartment, I believe. It's 814. That's right. Are you Mr. Wolf? Uh, no. This is Mr. Wolf. I'm Archie Goodwin. Although the name Wolf would be much more appropriate for him than for me. How did you know he was Mr. Wolf? Mr. Merle came in half an hour ago. He mentioned that he was expecting you. You see, Archie, you rushed me unnecessarily. We practically preceded him here. And we'll probably have to wait interminably for dinner. I just hate to be late. Arthur Merrill has never been on time in his life. He's no more punctual than any other writer. He's never been known to meet a deadline on time. This is your floor, gentlemen. 
Arthur Merle is just down the hall to the right, 814. Uh, thank you. And uh, by the way, I want to compliment you on your congenial attitude, miss. I'll speak to management. Oh, thank you, sir. Decent of you. Uh, what's your name, huh? Women are usurping everything. Really cost to live here. Merle's really in the chips. Every book he writes sells a million copies. Remember the last time we had dinner with Arthur Merle? I do. Delicious. Mountain quail. Shot them himself. Yeah, he's quite a marksman. Archie, such proficiency as Arthur Merrill displayed in hunting is evidence of a wasted life. Sure, he probably never made over $500,000 a year in his whole life. Well, ring again. Don't just stand there. Surely he's expecting us. The elevator operator said he was? Yeah, she seemed quite well informed. If I were a judge of women, which I am not, I'd say she has a line on every male in the building. She can get a line on me anytime she wants. Archie, your insatiable interest in the female seems sometimes to border on the psychopathic. You know a more pleasant way to go crazy? Phooey. This stranger's a light on in there. I can see it under the door. Shall I try the door? Do so, Archie. Thank you. Hmm. Unlocked. Well, at least we can get in. He may be in the bedroom. Probably in the kitchen. I'll just sit here. <sighs> I must forgo the comforts of my own home. I certainly intend to avail myself of the comforts of Arthur Merle's. Hmm. Very much over-decorated. You wouldn't like heaven unless they had orchids and beer. Hmm. Not a chair in the place worthy of the name. Well, I'll try that divan while you have a look around. For what? Arthur Merle, of course. Suppose you have a look in the study. Maybe writing. Have a look, my boy. I am exhausted and thirsty. See if he has any... Boss! Boss! Good heavens, Archie. Don't shout. I'm coming. It's Arthur Merle. Look. Slumped over his desk. A knife in his back. Yeah. He's quite dead. You haven't touched anything? Certainly not. I've been around long enough to know that. Well, you just call Inspector Kramer at homicide. How long do you think he's been dead? I'd say a half hour. From all appearances, yes. And perhaps only ten minutes. I can't understand it. Why would anyone want to kill Arthur Merle? Everybody liked him. This man I'd expect such a thing to happen to. The answer is probably a considerable distance from the question, Archie. Inspector Kramer, homicide. Archie Goodwin, Inspector. Just a minute, Nero Wolf wants to speak to you. Oh. I'm sorry. Here you are, boss. Hello, Inspector. Yes. What is it this time, Wolf? Find a dead body on the Grand's tomb? <laughs> I'm sorry you'll forgive any apparent failure to find humor in your little witticism. But I'm at Arthur Merle's apartment. I suggest you come here at once. Seems that Arthur finally met a deadline. <laughs> So you just walked in here and found Merle dead, huh? We were invited here for dinner. Hmm. Anyone else around when you got here? No. You see anyone, Goodwin? Only the elevator operator who brought us up. Well, Mr. Wolf, since you were in on the ground floor, maybe you've got some ideas. Sorry, Inspector. Had I been able to solve the crime so soon, I would have advised you, Inspector. <clears throat> yeah. Well, it's obviously murder. Obviously. You knew him well? Quite well. 
Ever know of his being in any trouble? No. Everybody liked him. Arthur Merle, I felt, didn't have an enemy in the world. Just so. I don't think anybody pulled this as a little friendly gesture. Don't jump to conclusions, Inspector. That this murder was committed necessarily by an enemy of Merle's. Meaning? It could have been an absolute stranger. A woman? Or a burglar, or a madman, or a crank, or... As far as we know, it could have been anybody in the city, Inspector. Arthur's been dead nearly an hour. And an hour ago, I was in my own home, sitting comfortably in my own big easy chair, drinking a delectable glass of beer. Someone at the door, Archie. Yeah, just a minute. I'll answer that. Mr. Merle? No. Uh, well, is Mr. Merle here? Yes, he's here. But he's not seeing anyone. Well, he's expecting me. I'm from the Serve Right Catering Company. We're ready to serve for four here tonight. The dinner has been canceled. Oh, but it's been ordered. Breast of guinea hen, cooked in wine and cloves, delicious. It's prepared and waiting. I'm afraid that I must insist on seeing Mr. Merle. Mr. Merle has been murdered. Well, I'm afraid I must... Uh, murdered? Well, oh, my goodness, but... Well, in that case, I... Yes, good evening. Don't you think you might have taken a bit more time with the fellow, Inspector? Why? You might at least have let him serve the dinner. Guinea hen, wine, and cloves sounded positively delectable. Look, I've had dinner. I'm afraid you're too busy, Inspector. So busy that you've just passed up an extremely interesting bit of information. What are you talking about, Wolf? He said he was to serve dinner for four. Well? Arthur Merle, Archie, and myself are only three. Well, who else was supposed to be here? A fourth guest who either hasn't arrived yet or who arrived earlier and left. Oh, I see what you mean, Wolf. Good. In that case, I'll leave you to pursue your deductions from that premise. Archie, will you please stay with the inspector and be of any help that you can? As for myself, I'm going back to my own home, which I should never have left in the first place. <laughs> Okay, that finishes the apartment search, Goodwin. And what have we? Nothing. Except that Merle had over $300 in his pocket. And he was wearing a ring worth a couple of thousand. So it couldn't have been robbery. And I don't think it was premeditated murder. Why not? The weapon. Obviously, if someone had planned on killing Merle, he'd have prepared it better. Used a better weapon than a blunt paper knife. Now, as I see it, someone was here before you and Wolf arrived. And for some reason, that person found it necessary to kill Merle. And he did it on the spur of the moment. I'm listening. Well, it's obvious. Merle was slumped over his typewriter. The sheet of paper was in it. He'd been working. May I see it? Yeah. Starbreaker. Strange title. Page 189. He was getting well along with his latest mystery. Apparently. Mm. Gregory Thorne slipped the paper into his pocket. It was just an ordinary piece of paper, but Gregory knew its value. Used properly, as Greg knew how to use it, it would be worth $100,000. He walked away briskly, and as he... That's all. Yeah, that's all. Must have been writing. No, I'd like to read the rest of it. We didn't find any more of it. Any other ideas? No, at the moment we seem to be right where the murderer himself left off. Oh, what is this, open house? Sorry to be so... Oh. Oh, what? I was... I mean, I expected to see Mr. Murrow. Is he here? Well, who are you? Cynthia Roberts. He expecting you? Well, no. That is... Uh, come on in, Miss Roberts. Thank you. Maybe the young lady is trying to say that he didn't have to expect her. 
Maybe she fell free to call without advance notice, Inspector. Inspector? Uh, what did you want to see Mr. Merle about? I, well, I'm his fiance. Oh. Had dinner yet, Miss Roberts? Why, yes, I had dinner earlier. Uh, when were I... you last here, Miss Roberts? Last night, after the theater, Arthur and I were... What's the matter? Is something wrong? I'm sorry to have to tell you this, Miss Roberts, but Arthur Merle was murdered. <laughs> and you say you hadn't talked to Mr. Merle all evening. Is that right, Miss Roberts? Yes, that's right. You didn't have a date with him tonight? Oh, no. Then why did you come here? I told you we were engaged. I just came by, that's all. I see. Any more questions, Inspector? Yeah, none for the present. How about you, Goodwin? Nope. But maybe Wolf. Let me call him. Yes, I guess under the circumstances, we can't very well leave him out. Go ahead. Oh, Arthur, I just can't believe it. Why would anyone want to kill him? That, Miss Roberts, is a question we'd all like to know the answer to. Yeah, Wolf speaking. Archie, boss, I'm still at Merle's. We haven't found out anything new except that Arthur's fiance dropped in a few minutes ago. Did she know anything of interest? I don't think so. What does the inspector plan to do about it? Just a minute. He wants to know what you're going to do with it. Well, hold her, of course. He's going to hold her. Let me speak to him. Okay. He wants to talk to you, Inspector. All right. Hello. Inspector, I suggest you let the young lady go. Are you crazy? I haven't got enough suspects in this deal to be letting the hottest one go free. You can't consider her a suspect simply because she knew Arthur. Now, see here, Wolf. If you go around arresting people at random, you'll suddenly be tipping your hand to the real murderer, admitting that you don't have a real clue to go on. And just what do you suggest? Find a motive, Inspector. Find a motive. Then, if you stumble on a suspect, you'll have some basis for making an arrest. At the moment, I suggest that you let the girl go and tell Archie to stop wasting his time down there and come home at once. So that's the story, boss. We went over that place with a fine-tooth comb. Nothing. There's not a single suspect. The last person to see Arthur alive was the elevator girl. Correction, Archie. The last person to see Arthur Merle alive was the person who ended his life. Well, I just can't imagine that pretty little elevator gal. You don't solve crimes by imagination, Archie. Then there's Cynthia Roberts, his fiance. You suspect her? Not exactly, but just suppose she did have a motive. Maybe he threw her over. Wouldn't it have been very clever of her to come back to Arthur's apartment after the police arrived, allegedly looking for it? I thought you were the admirer of the fairer sex, Archie. So far, the best you can do is practically accuse the elevator girl and Arthur's fiancé of murder. Well, who else is there? Certainly the fellow who came with the food doesn't count. I repeat, who else is there? The entire population of the city, Archie. Thanks. Well, that's all I get. Oh, well, there was something else. What? This. Page 189 of what appears to be Arthur's latest novel. It's in his typewriter. As you can see, just start at the page. Hmm, Starbreaker. Very interesting. What's the rest of it? That's all we found. What? And there was something missing. Archie. Yes, boss? First thing tomorrow morning, get the address of Mr. Morton, who publishes Arthur's books. Then get over to see him right away. Yes, may I help you? I'd like to see Mr. Morton. Uh, did you have an appointment? Tell him I'm from Homicide. Uh, 
Oh, yes, sir. Yes? Uh, Mr. Morton, I know you have someone with you, but uh, there's a gentleman here from the Homicide Bureau. He wants to see you. Tell him I work for Nero Wolf. My name's Goodwin. His name is Goodwin. Send him in. Yes, thank you. You may go right in, sir. The large door to your right. Thanks. Come in, Mr. Goodwin. Come in. I understand you're from Homicide. Not exactly. I'm Nero Wolf's assistant. We're working with Inspector Kramer. And what can I do for you? You've heard about Arthur Murrow. Yes, I received the word when I came in this morning. It was a great shock. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Goodwin. This gentleman is Henry Childs. How do you do, Mr. Childs? Glad to meet you, Mr. Goodwin. You're with Nero Wolf? I'm his, well, his assistant, Man Friday. Mr. And... Childs is a publicity agent. He handled all publicity for Arthur Merle. I've not only lost an excellent client, but a very good friend. Did you know Mr. Merle? Yes, I'd met him a number of times with Mr. Wolf. Yes, indeed. Arthur Merle was a great writer and a fine citizen. He'll be missed by millions. Mr. Goodwin, when was the murder discovered? Last night, shortly before dinner. Well, what are the police? I mean, what do you think the motive was? Don't know as yet, Mr. Childs. A little early for that. Well, it's certainly a shame. I, uh, I wanted to ask you a few questions, Mr. Morton, privately. I hope you don't mind, Mr. Childs. Oh, no, no, not at all. I was about to leave. I'll run along now, Mr. Morton. Uh, see you again soon, Mr. Childs. Good morning, gentlemen. Well, Mr. Goodwin? You did a lot of business with Mr. Merle, Mr. Morton? I published every one of his novels for the past eight years. And you intended to publish his new one, the one he was working on? Yes, we had a contract. The usual agreement between you. Naturally. Although I didn't know the story, I was always sure that if Arthur wrote it, it was good. Mr. Merle's name on a novel was a guarantee that it would sell a million copies. You don't know what this last one was about. Haven't the faintest idea. We relied completely on Arthur's judgment. Not even any carbon copies? Huh? Not that I know of. Why? When Mr. Merle was killed, the only thing missing from his apartment was the novel. The novel? The first 188 pages. All we found of it were a few lines of page 189 in his typewriter. He must have been working on it when the murderer stabbed him. The rest of it's gone. You mean, Goodwin, the, the novel's gone? Oh, this will cost me a million dollars. Well, it cost Arthur Merle his life. Arthur Merle dead and his novel gone. I can hardly believe it. Well, thank you, Mr. Morton. Oh, I hope I've been of some help, although I I'm don't sorry quite... you haven't. But we may call on you again. Before it's over, you may be a great help. Nero Wolf speaking. Archie, boss. I just finished with Morton. He doesn't know a thing. Merle never discussed his stories with anyone, and as far as Morton knows, he never made carbons. I see. Where do I go from here, boss? See Cynthia Roberts. Oh, then you haven't dismissed the possibility that she may have had something to do with it. Being his fiancée, she probably knows more about Arthur than anyone else. She may know who the fourth guest was to have been last night. And she also may know what Merle's novel was about. I personally don't give a hang what the novel was about. What I want to find there is someone who does know the story. Because I have a hunch that whoever knows that is the person who killed Arthur Merle. Miss Roberts, I know you want to help us find out who killed Arthur. Oh, yes, of course. I'll do anything. Nero Wolfe and I were invited to have dinner with Arthur Merle last night. Well, I knew he was having friends in for dinner, but... I didn't know who they were. Oh, I'm sorry. I hoped you'd know whom he invited. No, he didn't tell me. Miss Roberts, we have reason to believe that there was to have been a fourth person there last night. A, a fourth? The caterer came to deliver dinner for four. Now, the fourth party never did show up, or else came earlier and left after Arthur was killed. You mean someone Arthur invited to dinner might have killed him? Maybe. 
Oh, there's no one that I can think of who bore any ill will toward Arthur. We're convinced that this was done on the spur of the moment. Unpremeditated murder. Arthur Merle suddenly became a threat to someone. Now we've got to find out what the threat was and who was threatened. We'd hope you could help. I'm sorry. Did he ever discuss his new novel with you? Oh, no. He never talked about his stories until he'd finished them. So his latest mystery contains the answer to an even greater mystery. Unless we find the first, they'll both go unanswered. Mr. Morton? Yes? Nero Wolf speaking. Oh, yes. Your man Goodwin was here to see me. I presume you are interested in seeing Merle's murderer brought to justice? Certainly. Arthur was a close friend of mine. And his death cost you a best sir, I know. Now, would you be willing to help a bit? Why, yes, if I... I prepared a statement for the papers. I want you to call the literary editors first thing in the morning. Here's what I want you to tell them. Got a pencil and paper? Yes. And take this down. Quote, Mr. Carlton Morton announced today that the last work of the late Arthur Merle will be published according to schedule. Fortunately, it was Mr. Merle's custom to furnish his publishers with carbon copies of each day's work Consequently, with the major portion of his... Boss! Boss! Good heaven, Archie. Please don't be so loud. Look here. In this morning's paper, why, that rat, he lied to me, that... that... What on earth are you talking about? That publisher, Morton, he said he didn't have copies of Merle's manuscript, that he didn't know what it was about. And And listen to this. Mr. Carlton Morton announced today that the last work of the late Arthur Merle will be published according to schedule. Fortunately, it was Mr. Merle's custom to furnish his publisher with carbon copies of each day's work. Consequently, with a major portion of his latest work, Starbreaker, in the hands of his publisher, together with a complete synopsis, including the denouement, it will be possible for a ghostwriter to complete the novel. It will be published posthumously in proceeds with... Boss, did you hear that? I did, and it couldn't have been more to my liking if I'd written it myself. Now, excuse me, I want to make a telephone call. Who? Publisher Morton. Yeah, I'm beginning to see. He lied about the whole thing. I still don't see why he'd kill Merle, but on... Hello, Mr. Morton. This is Nero Wolf. Yes, perfect. Now I'll call Kramer, and he and Archie will be waiting for you. Remember now, if anything comes of it, you are to say the manuscript is in the safe in your home, and you steer the party here. Say you've recently rented this place. I hope we'll be seeing you. Yes. Goodbye. Oh, and be careful. Remember what happened to Arthur. Manuscript is in my desk in the middle drawer. What's the... You mean... Archie, look out of that window. Huh? Yeah? Out there is a city of some five million people. In that five million, there is one who murdered Arthur Merle. Now, we don't know who it is, so we can't go out and put a finger on him. But, Archie, since we can't go to him... They have only one other choice, make him come to us. Will you tell me why we're sitting here in the dark in Wolf's office? Yes, Inspector Kramer. Mr. Wolf promised us a caller. Mr. Morton is to pretend that he's rented this place recently. 
Well, who's the caller? I'll tell you until he or she gets here. You seem certain he'll come. I'm quite certain. I'm just hopeful. You trying to tell me that Morton killed Merle? You're almost as dense as Archie was. No, Morton didn't do it. Unless Mr. Wolf is very wrong, which is doubtful. Before the night is over, Morton will know who did. Then it won't be long until we know, too. Now, you should get on a quiz program. You're so good at guessing games. Shh. Listen, huh? Yeah, someone's coming. A pretty introduction, my dear Kramer. I hope there are two of them. Inspector, behind these drapes. Quick! I'll get behind the screen. All right, Mr. Morton. So far, you've been very cooperative. Just keep it up. I have no intention of doing otherwise. Your gun has me completely convinced, Mr. Child. Get the manuscript. Yes, just a moment. It's in my desk. Wait a minute. I thought you said it was in the safe. A mistake, Mr. Childs. I don't have a safe. Shall I get the manuscript? Yes, but no tricks. You be careful. I'm being exceedingly careful, Mr. Childs. There you are. Yeah. Starbreaker by Arthur Merle. Yes, this is it. Thank you, Mr. Morton. Now, I trust that's all you want of me. I'm sorry. I wish that were true. Unfortunately, you see, it's not the actual novel that I want. Oh? My interest in this copy is the same as it was in the original. And that is? That no one should ever learn the content. I take it you know what it's about, then? Yes. You see, Mr. Murrow made the mistake of telling me when I called a bit early at his apartment for dinner last evening. I was forced to deprive him of his life once I learned the storyline of this novel. This story must be kept secret. Why? Most of you people in the publishing business know me as a public relations and publicity agent for several prominent writers. Yes? Actually, I've been as successful as I might in this business. Because a few years ago, I stumbled onto a very neat and foolproof method of blackmail. Unfortunately, Arthur Merle thought of the same thing and based this story on it. If it got out, I'd be exposed and sent to prison. So he can see why I had to stop it, why I had to kill Arthur and why... Now I'll have to kill you, too. Oh, child, for heaven's sake. The contents of these pages condemn me. You know what's in them. Further, I've confessed to murder to you. You don't think I could let you live after that, do you? Child, you're insane. I'm sorry that I must repay you for your trouble in such an ungrateful manner. I'm sorry to do this to oh, you, Charles, but I can't... Charles, please, no! Sorry, Mr. Charles, there wasn't time to ask you to drop the gun. All right, Mr. Charles, get your hands up and stay where you are. Nice going, Mr. Morton. Who are you? That took courage, Mr. Morton. Sorry we had to wait so long, but we had to make Mr. Charles here convict himself. Convict? What do you mean? We've been waiting here for you. Behind the drapes all the time. We heard every word. Mr. Charles, you're under arrest. Police? Yes, Mr. Charles. Only one person could have been so anxious over a copy of that novel. That's the person who killed Arthur Merle for the original. And we heard you confess to that. And that's all we need to convict you. We didn't have any proof until we set it up for you to make a second try to cover up for the first. Fortunately, the setup worked. Setup? Take a look at the rest of the manuscript, Mr. Giles. What? Oh, the front page is there, all right, but look at the rest. Why, the blank. They're just blank pages. You didn't have a copy at all. No, but we certainly got a murderer. Eh, Inspector? Giles! Giles! Stop, Giles! Stop! Well, that's one way to avoid standing trial. Well, Archie, I'm glad you and Kramer got trials. Some BRP. 
That was a clever scheme, boss, making him think there was a copy. Yes. In a way, though, I wish it hadn't been just a scheme. Meaning? I wish there had been a copy of Arthur Murrow's novel. Why? You never read detective stories. No, but I've drummed up so much curiosity over this one, I'd like to know exactly what that blackmail gimmick really was. Good night, Archie. Ah. have been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.